you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We are in a new series entitled 10. Glad that you're here. How's everybody doing this morning? I want to begin with a question for you. When you think of the Ten Commandments, what do you think of? You might think it's about religion, but what if it's about life? You might think it's about do's and don'ts, but what if it's about freedom? You might think it's about punishment, but what if it's about love? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your presence. And Lord, thank you for this amazing gift of life. And we thank you for Jesus who has redeemed it. Father, you are our teacher. You are the revealer. And Father, I ask that you would reveal the wonders of your ways the wisdom of your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you here today to speak to our hearts. Father, we ask that you would teach, that you would touch, and that you would transform us into the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in week two of a 10-week series entitled 10, which is about the Ten Commandments. I want to thank Armin for starting off the series last week. Uh, We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. And as we go through this 10-week series, uh, our goal is this. We'll put it up on the screen here. Ryan, if you can go to the next slide. At the end of this series, we will have a better picture of God's love for us as expressed in the giving of His commandments which result in life as he originally intended, as we learn to love and obey God. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he said, life is a test. Life is a test. In the Bible, the number 10 is symbolic of testing. You will actually see the number 10 associated with the word testing in the Bible. For example... How many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. I could have said, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? But we're more familiar with the plagues. How many days did Daniel ask to be tested as they did not eat the king's rich food? Ten. How many lepers were healed to test and see who would respond with thankfulness? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? The Ten Commandments, each one of them, are a test of your relationships. The first five have to do with your relationship with God. The second five have to do with your relationships with people. And it's interesting that both of those are interrelated. Your relationship with God is reflected in how you relate to people. And your relationship with people reflects your relationship with God. Isn't it interesting when Jesus denied Christ three times and then Jesus restored him? By the way, isn't it good God restores us? Amen. Thank God he restores us. None of us would be qualified if it wasn't for his heart of grace. But Jesus restored him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. 
And what did Jesus say? Well, then, if you love me, feed my sheep. You know, Jesus summarized this principle when he said, love God and love people. The two are interconnected. Life is a test. We're going to be focusing on our relationship with God, and we're going to look at the second commandment. I mentioned earlier it's in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Exodus chapter 20, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I want to pause there for a moment and invite us not to read over this over what God is saying too quickly without relating to what he's saying. You know, if you are born again, if you have said the salvation prayer, if you have invited Christ and the Holy Spirit into your life, then what God is saying of the Israelites is also true of you. He has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us out of, from slavery to sin. Amen? What God did for the Israelites, he does for you. God goes on to say, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath, in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Anytime God says, don't do something, It's because he knows we have a tendency to do so, right? (laughs) I mean, why do we tell our kids, don't eat too much candy? Is it because they love vegetables? (laughs) You know, when I was a little kid, maybe five or six years old, my mom had hidden a big jar of M&Ms up in the top shelf of the cabinet in the kitchen. And one morning, my dad was gone, and she slept in late, And we woke up early. There were four of us. I'm the oldest of four. I'm five or six. So then you got four, three, two. And we were hungry and needed something to eat. So we're foraging around in the kitchen. We're resourceful. And look what we found. There's a big jar of M&Ms up there. I was the first to discover it. So I got a big handful. And like a little bird, I went to my room with my stash. And I'm eating away my little M&Ms. And all of a sudden, I hear all this commotion in the kitchen. Like, whoa, what's going on? So I walk back out, and there's my mom. She just woke up, and she's scolding all my brothers and my sister for eating all the M&Ms for breakfast. (laughs) So she looks at me in the doorway, and she goes, oh, Mark. She goes, why can't you guys be like your older brother? (laughs) She goes, Mark, I saved some M&Ms for you. Do you want some? And so she bent down to give me some M&Ms, and I put up my little fingers, forgetting where I had just come from, and there were little colors all over my fingers. And she went, "Ah!" she was aghast. You know, we tell our kids don't eat too much candy because we know. When God's word says don't judge, the reason he says don't judge is because he knows we judge. When God's word says don't have idols, it's because he knows we will have idols. Now, some of you might say, Alpha, pastor, I don't have any statues in my house. I know, most of us don't, but bear with me, there's a little bit more to this than statues. Simply put, an idol is a substitute for God. And God is supposed to be the source, amen? He's supposed to be the one to meet our needs. And we have many needs. And that's okay, 
That's the way God made us. He made us with needs to draw us to himself, to draw us to others in companionship, to draw us together in family. That's all good. But the problem is when we have a need, instead of turning to God and to his ways, oftentimes we turn to our own devices. We turn to substitutes. And those substitutes can look like things like alcohol and drugs. Uh, It could be something as innocent as maybe performing for approval because we want people to like us. And so we become yes people and we do everything and we produce and then people like us because we produce. And you know that approval, that success, that can make you feel pretty good, right? Or the substitute could be something like David. He was browsing around. He had time on his hands. He saw Bathsheba, and so he clicked on that website that he had no business going to. And these are just a couple examples of the substitutes that we turn to in order to get our needs met. You know the problem with substitutes? They're temporary. Their fix is temporary. It may satisfy for the moment, but you wake up tomorrow and your life is still the same. Only God is the source that you can turn to, that you can give yourself to, that he will meet your need in a way that's healthy and life-giving, and in the end, your life will be better as a result. Amen? You know, in today's modern language, we don't use the word idolatry to describe substitutes. You know what the word is that we use today? If you've been to Victory Weekend, you know the answer. What is the word that we use today to describe substitutes for God? Addictions. Addictions. Same thing, different word. It's a substitute for God. Fifteen years ago, I was addicted. I was addicted to caffeine. Not by coffee, but Coke or Pepsi and preferably Pepsi. I would wake up in the morning, and I would drive through Wendy's drive through and I would buy the largest cup they had. It was called the Big Gulp. By the way, do they still serve that? I don't know. I don't do it anymore. But back then, it was called the Big Gulp, and I would get on that straw, and I would go... And I tell you, there was more than just thirst going on in that moment. And I tell you... The caffeine drops and the sugar drops would be so low, sometimes I'd be falling asleep on the road. You know, like for microseconds, (laughs) you know, I'd wake up and go, oh man, I can't believe I almost fell asleep. And be like, man, this is bad. I'm going to get hurt. Or worse than that, I might hurt somebody else. And you know, substitutes are like that. They'll leave you high and dry. Or worse, they might hurt you. Or even worse, they can hurt somebody else. The reason God says don't have idols is because he knows we're tempted to do so, and he knows it will hurt us. You know, Moses didn't even make it down the mountain. He didn't even make it down the mountain yet with the two uh, stone tablets, and and he heard this singing and this party going on. He's like, what is happening? And the people were already steeped in pagan revelry and lascivious dancing around a golden calf. He was like, what? 
He was so mad. He took those stone tablets and he, he threw them down on the ground. Shattered them. God had to rewrite a new copy. You know, Moses and God, they had an interesting relationship. Sometimes Moses would be so mad at the people, he would go to God and he would say, God, would you just wipe them out? Just kill them all, God. And God would be like, no, Moses, no, no, no. And other times God would be so mad, he would say, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses would intercede and go, no, God, no, please, please. You know, it's a good thing for the people of Israel. God and Moses didn't have a bad day on the same day. Kill us? Really? Isn't that kind of like extreme? I mean, what's so bad about idols? I mean, surely there must be some things that are okay, right? Well, there are some things that are okay. I mean, there are some things we need. We need things. But it's not a matter of just things. It's when they become the primary thing. The fine line distinction here. Everything in life will either be a tool for God or it will be an idol, one or the other. You can have things, but materialism will bury you in a mountain of debt. Work is okay. We need to work. God says we should work six days a week. But workaholism will destroy your family. Pleasure. God created pleasure. But too much pleasure outside the boundary of God's guidelines, pleasure will destroy your health. Relationships. We were built for relationship. Amen? Relate with God, have family. But revolving door relationships, man, that'll leave you numb and reduce your capacity to be able to love and to connect intimately. The reason God says don't have any idols is because he knows it's not good for us. The only one, the only one you can turn to as the source to meet your need in a way that's healthy and balanced and life-giving is God himself. Amen? How did Jesus put it? He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. I mean, think about that for a moment. Just chew on that. Just unpack that. What does that mean? Abundant wisdom, abundant provision, abundant health, abundant joy. I mean, do you want some of that? <laughs> you want some of that? Well, then you got to let go of the idols in order to turn to God as your primary source. You got to let go of the old habits and the patterns in order to develop new spiritual disciplines you have to let go you have to lose sight of the shore in order to reach the horizon amen and some of you are saying pastor wow that sounds pretty good but i have to tell you i have tried i have i have tried i have tried i have tried and i'm telling you this thing will not go away it just won't you know, sometimes life is like a video game. You get to these various levels of progression in the game, and sometimes you get to this level where it's like you're stuck, and you just don't have the resources and the tools to get to the next level. Well, I want to give you a tool. 
But before I do, there's something you need to know about this tool. Number one, it doesn't work unless you want change. You have to want to change. You know, sometimes the reason we don't change is because we kind of like the way things are. You know, this old pattern, this old habit, actually, it has some payoff. It has some reward, maybe in a twisted way, but I kind of get something out of that. I like that. Now, you have to get to a point where you hate it before you're willing to let it go and change. That's number one. Number two is you can't take this tool and use it by yourself. You have to let God use it in your life. There's got to be a partnership with him where you're relying on him to be at work through this tool in order for change to take place. So here it is. We're going to put it up on the screen. This is called the purity process. I hope you can read that. And when I first found this chart, it was called the Christian Addiction Cycle. And I didn't like the name because that's not redemptive. And how many of you know God is redemptive? Amen? And so I changed the name. I call it the purity process. So the circle up on the top represents your relationship with God. And so it starts with you experiencing fellowship with God kind of at 10 o'clock there. And as a result of your relationship with God, you experience the fruit of the Spirit. And you experience God meeting your needs. And there's healthiness in your life. But then you go along your journey with God and you see there's temptation there on the top right. And at that point, there's usually kind of a reflex reaction we have to temptation. What I mean, it's kind of like an automatic response that takes place. And it depends on our thinking. There's two types of thinking. There's godly thinking, which is inside the circle, inside that dotted rectangle. And then outside the circle, there's ungodly thinking. And depending on our level of being renewed, we can have different responses to temptation. So within God's will, inside the circle, godly thinking is often an awareness that I actually have the freedom to choose. I'm not a slave to this. I actually have a choice. I can choose. There's an awareness of my identity in Christ. I know my resources in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. There's a sense of God's presence. There's also a sense of God's consequences. And I also have an alternative plan of action when I face the temptation. Whatever it is, it's unique for each one of us. Ungodly thinking outside the circle to the right is usually there's wrong beliefs about God. There can be wrong beliefs about self. There can be wrong beliefs about the world around us. There is impaired thinking and oftentimes ignoring consequences. And when that happens, we have a choice to make. We can either continue in faith and obedience and continue the circle of my fellowship with God, or we can depart from that fellowship with Him, and we go down into what's called ritualization. Ritualization is the idea is there's a ritual, there's a habit, there's a pattern, there's a way that I usually go to get my need met, whatever it is. Let's say I need comfort. There's a way that I, it might be comfort food, it might be something else, but there is a way. It's a ritual. And we usually go to that pattern or that habit, and that leads us into sin. And then from there, the consequences are self-pity, bitterness, frustration, guilt, self-punishment, and there's shame. And then we're living down in the defeat of disobedience. And it's dark, 
and it's lonely, and I feel separated from God. And that state can last for a different amount of time for any person. It could be anywhere from six seconds to six hours to six years, depending on your spiritual maturity. But at some point, thank God in his grace, he allows us to repent. We're we're down there, it's dark, it's lonely. We're like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I'm going to go back to God. And so we repent, we confess, and we receive God's forgiveness and he restores our joy, and we're back in fellowship with him. Amen? Thank God that he does that for us, that he restores us. And so the homework, do we have homework in church? Okay, so the homework is, the dotted rectangle there is that space where temptation happens. And the question for us is to ask ourselves, what happens when I face temptation? What happens inside me? And what am I thinking? What are my attitudes? What am, I, what am I believing? How am I responding? And ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight into what's happening with you. You know, years ago, when 20 years ago, when the ice ep- epidemic hit Guam, crystal methamphetamine, my house got robbed three times. <clears throat> the third time, I said, that's it, man. I got angry. I said, I'm going to beat these guys at their game. So I called Cybertech. I got an alarm system. We're deciding what kind of devices we want to put in the house. And I'm debating about whether or not affording a camera system. And the sales representative said to me, before you make a decision about buying a camera, you need to ask yourself a question. I said, okay. He said, do you really want to know? I said, what? He said, do you really want to know who's coming in your house? I said, wow, that's a great question. Do I? Man, this guy's a realist. You know, when we ask God to show us things about ourselves, you got to ask yourself, do you really want to know? Because sometimes taking a hard look in the mirror is a hard thing to do. But I want to encourage you not to be afraid. In the world, out there in secular counseling and psychology, they stay away from guilt. They can't go there because they don't have a solution for it. You know, it wasn't that, you know, divorce is so bad. It's just that, you know, the marriage, you know, wasn't a good fit and the marriage didn't work. So we don't deal with any guilt on either party. But in God's kingdom, there's forgiveness. And guilt is the half step to receiving forgiveness. And you can go there because God has a solution and then he will set you free. Amen? So some of us are looking at this and we're like, Man, that's a lot of homework. This could be like the rest of my life assignment. (laughs) I want to encourage you with this. Yes, there is our part. But I want you to know God is also at work in your situation. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Some translations say it this way. God is the one who will put his desires in you, and then he will give you the ability to live it out. So it's a partnership. You're not alone in this. Invite God to be a part of the process, and he will sanctify, and he will purify, and he will restore. Amen. Centuries ago, there was a prophecy 
that was given that relates to you. It relates to you. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 36. I'd like to read it for you. Ezekiel 36. God says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That is a prophecy that is being fulfilled in this day. It's been fulfilled in generation after generation. And not just in this day, in this place, in this time, today. God is at work in your hearts, fulfilling his will. You know, when I was, a, especially as a non-Christian, but even as a young Christian, I'm just going to be honest. I had a hard time with God's ways. I really did. It was like he was turning my world upside down. My values were all being rearranged. My priorities. I had a really hard time with God's ways. But the more I get to know the Lord, the more I experience his love, and the more freedom he brings in, in my life, the more his ways become my desire and my satisfaction. Lord, I thank you for that encouraging word that Elmore shared in the beginning from Psalm 91. Lord, that you are with us and that you are for us and you are battling in our behalf. And Father, I have sensed that today this message is coming up against some barriers. Change is hard. But Lord, I thank you that no change is too difficult for you. Lord, where there is fear, where there is hesitation, where there is some kind of resistance, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak truth into that condition, truth that will set free. Lord, I ask that you would undo any work of the enemy, any mindsets that come from the kingdom of darkness, and that you would set us free to be able to walk in your ways, to walk in fellowship with you, to love you and obey you. God, would you have the victory today in our minds and in our hearts? If you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there may be some of you here today as you're listening to me talk about a relationship with God 